This show is sponsored by IdealWorkspace.com, which promotes a healthier way of working through their adjustable standing desk. Check out their latest smart adjustable standing desk at Altizen.com. A-L-T-I-Z-E-N.com. Welcome to Analyze Asia, the podcast dedicated to dissect the pulse of business, technology, and media in Asia. In this episode, I speak to Carolina Milanesi from Creative Strategies and Tech Pinions. In the first part of our conversation, we discuss Huawei, the leading Chinese hardware technology company, on their focus on the consumer sector with smartphones in 2016 and what to expect from them in 2017. Hi, Carolina. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening. I don't know what time it is where you are. <laughs> I'm 15 hours ahead of your time, so I'm somewhere in the early morning. Where are you actually? I'm in uh, San Jose, so in bang in the middle of Silicon Valley. Yes, and I'm talking to Carolina Milanesi, consumer tech analyst, creative strategies. And of course, this interview would come naturally through a, a nice introduction from Ben Beharin. So, Carolina... It's great to have you on the show. I've actually listened to a couple of your interviews with Apple Talk, with Rene Ritchie, and of course, you're a common guest on TechPinion's podcast, but I want to get to know you better. How do you start your career? Well, thank you for having me, first of all. I've been listening to your podcast, and I like the style and like the, the, the guests that you, you have on. My career started a long time ago. I've been doing tech research for 18 years, which is just dating myself very quickly here. So I started out my career at Gartner. I spent 14 years between the UK and the US looking at consumer devices, so I was leading the research for consumer devices, looking at forecast and market share, but then obviously all the trends and, and kind of covering the, the key vendors. And then in 2013, I decided that I wanted to really stay closer to what is my passion, which is really doing consumer research and looking at us, you know, as people as individuals and how we adopt technology. And I wanted to get better at doing pure consumer research. And uh, I went and worked for Cantor World Panel, which is a, a kind of a Nielsen Comscore competitor headquartered in the UK, but they have offices here in New York. And I led their US business for Comtech, which is the, the part of the company that looks at uh, technology. I've known Ben since I moved here. You know, Ben and, and Tim are everywhere in, in Silicon Valley when there is meetings or get together of analysts. And I started chatting to Ben about maybe started working together and look at where there was a gap in, in the industry. And, uh, and here I am. So from your various roles from Cantor, Gartner, and now Creative Strategies, what are the interesting career lessons learned? Wow, I think there are two sides, right? There's like the career from my perspective and then generally kind of the market learnings. And from a career point of view, I think that what I learn is one, I never know anything, everything, not anything, everything. <laughs> you know, especially in technology, you can never say, okay, I'm done. Now I know everything and... I can, you know, kind of live on what I know. That never happens. You know, technology moves so quickly. There are so many players, uh, new, old that go out. And you always have to read and be informed and spend a lot of time listening to other people, listening to podcasts and, and reading other people's research to come up with your own point of view and, and be open-minded. I think that's what makes the best analysts 
out there, people that collaborate, that talk and listen to others. And then from a market perspective, what I think is fascinating about, you know, if I look at the span of the years that I spend looking at consumer tech is is how big names I, I saw the rise of the smartphone market and the fall of the mighty. You know, I, I was working with Nokia when they were the top dog in the market and, and now they're gone and coming back, right? But it's a very different Nokia. And so it is that part is is fascinating to see how in a span of few years, 10 years or so, things change so drastically for some of the vendors. I also wanted to understand a little bit more. What's your current role and coverage in creative strategies? For example, what are the areas that you focus in consumer tech that's specifically on that? Yeah, so I look at consumer tech across the board. We're not a big analyst house. I think it's a plus because we tend to look more at the end-to-end offering. We don't, you know, at Gardner, they had more than 700 analysts. So I was looking at one aspect. Here I look across the board at technology, really everything from a consumer perspective. With Ben, we focus on the research side. So we do a lot of surveys covering technology. Uh, And then areas that are interesting to me where I'm spending quite a bit of time are one is AI and the other one is education and you know anything that has to do with technology and children that's quite dear to me because I have a nine-year-old daughter so I'm very interested in in what's happening there. So which comes to the main topic of the day I wanted to talk to you about two things so one of them is Huawei Technologies a very very interesting firm in China and of course the other part which we're going to talk about is the artificial intelligence and the internet of things but i'll start with huawei technologies first but just to help my audience here huawei technologies is a chinese multinational networking and telecommunications equipment and services company and recently have gone into consumer electronics headquartered in shenzhen guangdong the founder is Ren Fei and actually is a former engineer from the People Liberations Army. They are actually running an operating revenue of US $60 billion in 2015. I give a very quick introduction and also one thing people do not know is Huawei is a private company. So my first question to you is, I know that you have been to one of their annual summit for analysts. So since Huawei is a private company, why does it need to hold an annual summit for analysts? Yeah, I've been to several of, of those and, and it's fascinating because every year they're getting bigger and there are more people there and they cover more topics. And I think that the main reason is that although you know they are private, obviously they are still building their presence and they want to make sure that people understand the breadth of what they cover. Spending, you know, three full days really looking at all the business, not just, you know, a lot of people from, especially from a consumer perspective, they know they, they make phones, right? But then they don't understand how much bigger the real Huawei business is and, you know, all the maybe less sexy part of the business, like the infrastructure side and, and the enterprise side. So I think it's important for them, especially internationally, to have analyst and financial analyst understand their business. From those annual summits that Huawei have held, what kind of information they usually share with the analysts? Like for example, I went through their website, they actually show their financial numbers every year. 
and their growth rate for every year. So what are the things that you usually would see from their summit? They're very typical from other companies too. So you would have the general, they, they usually kick off with a general overview of their numbers and so for financial situation and then talking more generally about their brand and marketing position and then you know their kind of goals for the year. And then they break down in the different business units. And so you all have spin-offs of consumer, the enterprise and uh, more the kind of IoT and then the carrier infrastructure business. And you get more into the detail. And at that point, you go from, you know, the review of the previous year, products that have come to market, what they want to do from a marketing messaging perspective and the goals that they have for the next, you know, two to three years. So during the one that you have attended in 2016, what are the specific interesting things that you have actually learned about Huawei then? I thought 2016 was the time where it was so obvious how big the company had become and how mighty, how powerful that business is. And as I said, you know, for especially for people outside China, it's really looking at Huawei from from what we know about phones and now live in the U.S. And we don't see much here from a phone perspective, right? The U.S. is the market where Huawei still needs to really put a lot of focus and grow market share. But when in Europe, especially coming from the U.K. and Italy, I knew, you know, they were growing and, and they, they were being very successful. But last year, it was interesting that a lot of the time we spent talking about IoT. We spent time talking about data centers and smart cities and cars. You know, there's so much more that they want to be involved in. And of course, from the carrier point of view, the infrastructure side, they've been very successful. You know, they are the leading vendor in the carrier business. That's obvious to everyone. They are working with hundreds of, of carriers across the globe. But it's that power of branching in so many areas that for me was the more important message out of that, specifically to what I care about. So the consumer side, I thought was interesting, the focus on the US, but also how I think they start to feel a little bit the pressure of having to talk more about bigger goals, bigger numbers. And I think that sometimes is a shame because it takes away, it makes them less credible uh, and it takes away from the success that they had so far. So they were, you know, big statements as far as what they want to achieve. And some are realistic. You know, I think that in the smartphone market, they are doing extremely well and, and they have been a solid number uh, three in the market. So there's definitely opportunity there. But in other areas like the PC market where they're new and where they don't have really a DNA, it's going to be harder for them to, to try and find a, a space. We will take an advertisement break for the moment. Innovation and value generation remained at the forefront of the fourth edition of the IoT Asia Conference, which returns on the 29th to 30th of March at the Singapore Expo Exhibition Halls. Join the three-track conference to learn about the latest developments and initiatives from top leaders and leading lights in the field. Use the code IOT7AASIA to get a 10% discount off the conference rates except academy. Coming back. From what I understand about Huawei technologies, they are broadly broken into three categories, carrier, enterprise, and consumer. I think enterprise is where 
the IoT piece and probably where they want to do with cars and etc. I think they're also a supporter of MBIoT if I'm not wrong in terms of the low power winds. How are these different business lines doing in terms of when they convey in the analyst summit? Are they actually all strong performances in each category or they are stronger on some or weaker in some? I think probably the enterprise space is the one where they are newer and they need to put more effort. I mean, is the one, you know, obviously when you're doing a, an event like this, you, you try and focus on the positive versus the negative, but it is newer to them. And I think is a harder from an international perspective is a harder business, right? Obviously in China, they're very well connected. They have a strong relationship and a, a good list of clients. But then when you try and talk about enterprise internationally, that becomes more difficult. And that's not just for Huawei. That's for everybody. Sure that, you know, Baidu will come up as we move on to talk about AI. And, and that's the same issue for them. You know, very strong player in China. But when you try and take your business abroad is, is a bit more difficult. The So that, I think, is for the enterprise side. Carrier side, doing very well. And they're very well established. And, and it's interesting because I've been looking at this market so long that I still remember when Alcatel was just Alcatel and not Alcatel Lucent and then Nokia. You know, they are playing a similar game that at the very beginning, vendors that had like Motorola back in the day had both the the carrier infrastructure business and the phone business were playing, which is going to the operators and say, we have both. And, And so, you know, if you get our kit for networks, then our phones are optimized for that network. Your customers are going to have a better throughput for G and everybody's going to be happy. So they played some of that that has helped them both from an infrastructure perspective, but then from a phone point of view in really closing relationship, meaningful relationship with, with carriers across the world. The consumer space, obviously, last year they were doing very well. Their market share was was improving and growing steadily. And so was their net promoter score and customer satisfaction. And then that is really what has changed more dramatically for me. You know, when I look at Huawei over the past couple of years, it's really not just being very cheap provider, right? They are the ones that give me a phone for a quarter less than Samsung or, or Apple. No, now people are actually looking at them and say they do solid good design and, you know, phones that I can rely on and high-end phones. So I think that was, you know, their, if you like, the effort that they put in in the past two years really coming through in 2016. That's also because unlike Xiaomi, which actually adopts a lot of contract manufacturing, Huawei actually have the technical capability itself to manufacture the chips and also the, the assembly to the phone. Is that true? Correct. Yeah, and they are vendors that are able, although they don't use their chips on all their phones, but, you know, they are more vertically integrated. And and we see with people, with vendors like Apple and and Samsung, how much that is an advantage in the market, you know, especially for Android vendors that already share a common platform, being able to differentiate from that vertical integration and really control more of your path and your device is very important. And it will be important with AI as well. And it's quite interesting because I see in the US, you see companies like Apple, they are very focused on consumer electronics. You see Alcatel, you you see your 
Cisco's, they are very focused in enterprise. Whereas in China, you see Huawei is like the combination of all three put into one company. Yeah, and to be honest with you, I think that is the right approach. If you have the means to do that, if you have you know enough people that have the skills and, and enough money to go after that, reality is that you know from from a user perspective, consumers go across the board. You know, I'm a consumer at home. I'm a working person when I'm in the office, and you know, I'm a, a client of services that are offered by enterprises. So having that understanding of a different market is important and it takes a lot though not very many vendors can be so but widespread i just want to focus on to the consumer aspect can you talk about the different smartphones from huawei why are they pushing into the high end with the honor and the p9 yeah it's been an interesting shift from them right when they started it, it was really a value play they wanted to get into the market they knew that there were new to the market that people couldn't even pronounce their name and they had to come in with that value proposition and so they started going after the better price a lot of features but as the market for a lot of the vendors that are more local but you know now you define local and it's changing as well so people that vendors brands that started in china but then developed in india and uh, southeast asia and so forth so i'm talking about oppo you know g5 micromax just delivering cheaper products wasn't going to be enough to set them aside and also there was clearly the understanding that once you go cheap is hard to build the brand in the high end one and second if price is what you differentiate by is only going to continue to go down and your cost yes will decline you know with economies of scale but you know your margins are going to get squeezed and squeezed so they needed to move up in the stack and trying to deliver more of a high-end device and i think they've done the with not just the hardware, but really trying and positioning the brand from a marketing perspective in that high end of the market. They spend a lot of money internationally. You know, they do big events. They have a very strong presence at Mobile World Congress, and they had so for years now. So consumers are starting to recognize their name more. So much so that is interesting once Honor came out of China and started to come into the US, but initially they wanted to have an easier name, you know, an easier brand for international markets to recognize. And then they wanted to follow kind of Xiaomi idea of the online channel being a strong channel, but they didn't want to dilute the relationship that they had with the carrier. So they split, if you like, their their offering and honor has become the more millennial focus, so young, you know, people and online channel, and then Huawei is the established brand. What is interesting is that by the time all of this came about, consumer actually recognized Huawei. So I was at the launch of the Honor phone here in in the US, and it, it was fascinating how afterwards, you know, I was covering the event on Twitter, and people were like, "Who's Honor? I never heard of them. I, you know, what do they know about smartphones?" People were asking me, and I said, "Well, it's Huawei." Oh, okay. 
so, you know, now the name means something to people and, and it's interesting how, you know, I think what they started out with and wanted to keep the two separate might actually not be that helpful today. Back to your original question, why the high end? Because if you're not in the high end, you're, you know, the, the smartphone is a commodity. And so it's only the brand and um, the design of the phone that take you away from that commodity and let you charge, you know, $695 as Apple has done from their earning call last night for a phone. I want to zoom in the question a little bit more. I mean, Apple has its own software, which is the iOS. I think Samsung has kind of its own sugar-coated version of Android. Huawei is also using Android. Do you see Huawei also creating their own version at some point? Because, and I don't see that from Huawei as a company looking at software. I always see them as a hardware company. Or is that perception is going to change as it goes? Yeah, they're trying a little bit with with their UI. But to be honest with you, that is actually what is holding them back. They are a hardware company. You're absolutely right. And that's what they know. You know, even Samsung is more a hardware company than a software company. It's taken them a long time to do something with software that makes a difference to, to consumer, like they've done, for instance, on 7 Edge. But for Huawei, is a question of core competence and, and where they want to be. At the end of the day, we're too far along for vendors to really try and come out with a separate operating system. You know, consumers know Android, they like Android. And I think it's been proven over the years, HTC tried, Motorola tried, that if you try and depart too much from, if you like, the vanilla flavor of what the UI of Android is, it's harder to deliver a good experience because it's harder to keep up, it, it takes a lot of time if you are putting that, you know, sugar coat or lipstick, whatever you want to call it on top. Every time there's an update of the underlying Android, you need to update yours. So this is not you do it once and you're done. So it, it is a lot of, of work. And, and unfortunately, this is not where most of the vendors that are into Android are, are good at. And the reason why they got into Android and they got to the market was, you know, specifically because somebody else was taking care of the software. So they didn't have to worry about it. I was once made a tongue-in-cheek joke over Twitter and said that, you know, Huawei should just buy Xiaomi because they have the software and the UI for it. And that was exactly why consumer got excited. And, you know, when, when Xiaomi first came out, it, it was their differentiation, the, the MIUI UI. It, it was what set them apart aside from, you know, the services side as well. And, and you know, that whole ecosystem, which is then a very hard thing to replicate in other markets, which is exactly what is holding Xiaomi back, you know, right now, uh, d trying to replicate the success that they had in, in China is very difficult when you go to other markets. I guess my final question on Huawei is, where do you see Huawei's focus will be in 2017 then? I mean, 2017 is really about the U.S. and trying to have more of the presence here. 
I think, you know, if you look at their position internationally, obviously, you know, in China, they're very strong now. Internationally, Europe is strong for them, but they haven't really cracked the U.S. market. And it's hard. It's a hard market because it's a market that is split between Samsung and Apple. And, and it's been like that for a long time. So I think this is their core. If they want to really be the, the number one or even number two vendor in, in the market is this is it. You know, the U.S. is what they need. So I think that's core focus for 2017. Carolina, thank you for talking about Huawei technologies. I mean, we are going to go into the next part of the conversation on artificial intelligence and Internet of Things. So help my audience. How do they find you? Well, thank you for having me. Your audience can find me on Twitter at Caro underscore Milanese. That is C-A-R-O underscore M-I-L-A-N-E-S-I. You can find me at bleongcw.bernardleong.com. Subscribe to us at Analyze Asia, A-N-A-L-Y-S-E, Asia. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Acast, TuneIn, and of course, Google Play, only in the US market. Tweet to me, recommend me on Overcast, give me a five-star rating on iTunes, and of course, support. Uh, give me any comments, feedback, and who you want to get on the show. 